0: Welcome to Peers Like Me. Peers Like Me is a regularly updated podcast developed to increase everyone's understanding of the effects of people who have behavioral health issues on our families, neighbors, and communities. Peers Like Me is designed to increase understanding and knowledge for people in our community from a peer, people with lived experiences perspective, which will result in improved community inclusion. Our hope is that by sharing our knowledge and experiences with the issues, our community will gain better understanding and acceptance, resulting in an improved quality of life for everyone. Today, our guests are Marlene Schillinger and Melinda Du Bois. Our host is Maura Kelly.
1: Hi, thank you, Ernie. Marlene Schillinger and Melinda Du Bois are here. I uh, was at a meeting via uh, Zoom, I think back in February, and uh, these two people are, I, I know them, They're colleagues, solid colleagues and they presented their new initiative or revised initiative for Niagara County to the Niagara County Department of Mental Health, uh, all the agencies related to mental health in Niagara County. And it was just really an impactful presentation that I found and I thought um, it might be helpful for you guys to share what you're up to. Um, I know you guys, but I don't think everyone does, but uh, just to stress the experience these two women have, uh, Marlene Schindler has spent her career dedicated to, mar- to marginalized and vulnerable populations. She recently retired for her 25 year position as the CEO of Jewish Family Services of Western New York. While under her leadership, the agency continues to provide exemplary services to people of all ages in the area of mental health, care coordination, refugee and asylum seekers, services and career services. Marlene is most proud of her accomplishments, particularly in the realm of mental health services. While she has seen many beneficial changes to support and delivery of services to people with mental health challenges, there's more to be done. Ms. Schoender lives with a mental health challenge It does not define her. So welcome, Marlene. And we also have Melinda Du Bois. And Melinda is the executive director of the Mental Health Advocates of Western New York. Uh, She uh, recently took that, well, not recently, uh, became the director in September 2020, which is around COVID time. So, uh, but Marlene, uh, Melinda has over 25 years of experience managing Multidisciplinary health and human service organizations. She is a current board member of Horizon Human Services, vice president of Care Management Coalition, a member of the Health Leadership Fellow Cohort Six, past president of the Crisis Services Board of Directors, and is a 200 hour registered yoga instructor trained in trauma sensitive yoga and meditation. She's also, she currently resides in East Aurora with her husband, daughter, and her black lab, Yoshi. And as a colleague of mine out in Oakland says, Joe Malone says, please take care of your pets and people in that order. So uh, welcome. Uh, You guys are a wealth of information and we're here to talk about being aware of mental health issues. May is mental health month and your your leadership in the anti-stigma campaign initiative that you guys are taking across Western New York that is really, it really is exciting to hear. So uh, can you tell me about that? What, what your experience is and why you got involved uh, with this and, and about why, why is there a mental health awareness month?
2: So. About seven years ago, I was with a group of people in the mental health business, if you will and based on an extraordinary circumstance, we decided that we needed to talk about stigma. Um, I was in a seminar and I asked people how many people have a mental health challenge and nobody, there must've been 50 people in the room, nobody raised their hand except me. Um, And that was the start of the anti-stigma campaign. It's taken a huge, huge jump from where it was seven years ago. Seven years ago is just a couple of people. And now we have so many agencies involved and we're moving into Niagara County. I think that we were actually the first people, I don't want to say nationally, but seven years ago, nobody was really talking about stigma. You know, it was a whisper. You know, people were whispering about it but nobody was really talking about it. So I'm really proud to say that we are, you know, let's talk stigma because it's out there. Melinda.
3: Yeah. Thanks Marlene. And thanks Mara. Um, So, my involvement with the anti-stigma coalition is relatively new. I'm so grateful for Marlene for being a founder and starting um, the coalition. But I, my involvement is around something similar to what Marlene was talking about. I um, I have a lived experience. I struggle with um, anxiety and I also have a family member who has a diagnosis of bipolar disorder and Um, personally for me, I spent many years of my life keeping those things quiet because I did not want people to know. So I feel like I live that stigma. I understand what it's like to um, not feel comfortable talking about my own issues and my family's issues. And once I started really embracing what was going on in my family and talking about it more, I realized this hum humongous relief of this these are issues that all of us are dealing with all of the time and so the presentations that we do with the anti-stigma coalition really talk about the prevalence of mental illness but also the need to really um talk about the issues that people are having and for me at um the mental health advocates of western new york i do a lot of presentations out in the community and i i identify as a person with anxiety every time i speak because i think well, I know how important it is, because when I when I talk about my own mental health struggles, then it allows other people to feel more comfortable talking about theirs.
2: You know, it's interesting because I ran a mental health clinic for 25 years. And after 20 years at an annual meeting, I told my board and the audience that I have a mental health challenge because I was scared that I was going to be stigmatized as the CEO of a mental health agency who had lived experience. Um, You know, there were some people that came up to me and congratulated me for sharing. And there were others who looked at me like, you know, I don't wanna say the C word, which is crazy because we don't use that word, but people were really shocked. Um, And I was proud of myself because I finally, you know, said something to my board and the members of the audience.
1: So many, many years ago, I've, I've been an advocate most of my adult life. Um, someone, uh, some uh, Channel 7 asked me to talk about stigma on, the, on like, uh, good morning, 10 o'clock, you know, Buffalo AM or something. And uh, I really focused on discrimination. You know, like stigma is just a nice word to say, discrimination. But as my journey in life has gone through, gone by, I realized that, stigma and discrimination are two different things like discrimination seems to be like taking action based on a general issue or classification that takes away some rights or or rights of of access but stigma is a whole different ball game stigma like can you explain that like it it just seems I always, I, I had a misunderstanding of what stigma was until I guess recently when I was struggling and um, I felt it, I saw it, you know. So if you could sort of explain that, like for some people that just stigma is a nice word, but what does it really mean? Go ahead, Melinda.
3: I'm, I'm looking at Marlene too, because she's had so much experience in this. Right. I, I'll tell you how I view stigma. I view stigma as the words we use, the actions we take, the way we um, we connect with other people, the our relationships. it, it for me, stigma is all encompassing. I think about the um, I think about stigma in a lot of different ways, but here's a good example of, you know, Marlene mentioned the word crazy, right? So if we we have words that we use when we describe people, and we sometimes don't even think twice about using that word. Crazy, Um, and yet that's completely stigmatizing. And so it's not only the learning the fact that 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 word can be stigmatizing, but also empowering the people around to say, "Wait a second, that's not it." We shouldn't be using that word. That's stigmatizing. Let's think of uh, a different way to describe a person. So it's our actions, it's our language we use, and it's the relationships we have with other people. Marlene, what what did you want to add to that?
2: No, I I totally agree with you. Um, you know, I think it's an interesting point, Mara, that you separate discrimination from stigma. Um, you know, I'd like to hear more about it. Maybe this yes. isn't the venue. Yeah. Um, because I think not that it's one and the same, but I see them together. So, for example, right. before I spoke to my, you know, I shared that I have a mental health challenge, you know, for years I thought, OK, if I share this, then, you know, they'll be saying all this stuff about me and they'll try to get me on something that I didn't do or wasn't huge. Yeah. And so, you know, for a while I was thinking, okay, I'm female, I'm over 55, I've been here for 20 years, like, what are you going to do to me? But somebody who's not, you know, in those categories, you know, I do see it as discrimination if you come forward. I think, like Melinda said, in our language, it's different, you know, because we talk about stigma, and the words that we use. Um, and it's beneficial if people want to take the mental health first aid class, because that's where I learned a lot of my knowledge. Um, but I see it, I, I see it as intermingled.
1: Yeah. Um, so, So yeah. So, so I struggle with it. But what I've experienced within the last year, a little over a year, is that when I, when, when people talk about people with mental illness or mental health issues. There's an automatic false belief like, oh, they must not be competent or are they responsible? Like, it's just a belief like, oh, mental illness equals, you know, like a flaw person, not, not a strength-based, like overcoming adversity, you know, really qualified person. But it's like, oh, oh, they have a mental illness or, oh, oh, they're just bipolar or just, you know, the label. And it, I, I feel an attitude, uh, 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 like I know that they are assuming things about me without even saying it. And, and that's where it's stigma, discrimination, I feel like like it, there is a discrimination, but it's separate from like discrimination is I'm not going to hire you because you've been hospitalized. That's a blatant violation of rights. But Sigma is like subtle, like, oh, don't worry about Daniel. Daniel, you know, th- Daniel's got issues. Oh, okay. Then I'm going to assume, oh, okay. Then that's a, well, okay or not okay because of the issue. It's just the way people see other people just because, and I struggle with a mental illness. It's not something I enjoy. It's not, and it's something I want help with but the attitudes prevent that for so many people. So yeah, I I
3: think I I love what you said, Maura, because I think that people look at it as a weakness, right? They look at it as a deficit or a weakness. And when you really think about the people that you know, that we know all of us here, think about the strength that we have because we live with our own mental health challenges. And as a result of that, we are stronger people. We have the ability to relate to people different differently. I look at it as a strength, not right. a weakness. But the majority of of society look at it as as a weakness. Certainly, I you know we make that comparison between mental illness and physical illness all the time. And if you're a person that has diabetes, um, that you're a person that's living with diabetes, it's you know it's right. uh, and you you have to manage it, and you and you. Take the medication that you need and you have the lifestyle that you need. And um, people don't look at that as a, a character flaw or a weakness. Right. It's just what they they come to work or come to the table yeah. with.
2: Yeah. So I, I really appreciate understanding the difference. Yeah. In how you look yeah. at it. Because you're right. I mean, I have strength that doesn't separate me from what I do. So, don't stigmatize me because you don't think that I could do something over here. It actually is my strength. And and, and I believe it. Um, Do I love it all the time? Uh, No. But, you know, with friends and support and family and some guidance from a therapist or psychiatrist, you know, most I I do fine. And I'm proud in some ways to say it because. It also connects me to other people. Yes, um, and that's important.
1: And I, I'm very impressed with the current mental health system. I, I went through some difficulty with my mental health uh, recently, and the people I got, the providers, immediately engaged my family, my, and they educated them, and it, they finally understood. They, like, they like. And it's so good to, he, to experience that, to have providers where years ago it wasn't, no, stay away from family, but they're including families. And families are beginning to understand. You know, I, I I see that a little bit, but we have so much more to go, you know, like I don't understand why people think people suffering from mental illness, from anxiety, depression, uh even other things would not want help to relieve that that, uh, pro- that illness, that issue. It, it, and I think there's a lot of misunderstanding w- with that. Like like people want help. It, it's just, you know, what kind of help? And it's great, Melinda, that you're doing yoga. It's <laughs> really helpful. But so what are you guys doing? You see the, what what's uh, the mental health advocates doing? You know, mental health advocates have been around for 60 years in the community, educating the, the county, pr- promoting mental wellness, and works with kids, and is really out there. But So what are you guys doing to address this, this issue that affects me and, and many people? That, well, it affects everyone in our community.
3: So yeah, we definitely at MHA, we have so many services that we um, that we have to support people that are living with mental illness. And we do a lot to promote mental health and well-being. Um, one of the most exciting programs that we have right now is our youth peer advocates. So we have um, we have nine youth peer advocates. They're under the age of 30, so 18 to 30 years old, and they come with lived experience. And so what's really, really exciting is they are going into schools um, across the county talking about it's, it's They kind of do a mental health 101 presentation, but they also incorporate their lived experience. So it's so wonderful to, to watch this happening because these are people that look like the students, that are very connected to the students, and the students are looking at them and saying, oh, wow, this person is describing their own mental health challenges. I have those same mental health challenges. And they can look up to this person, but it's also this opportunity to link them to services. So we do groups, we do one on one mentoring. Um, I'm really interested to to learn more about how the younger generation is is talking about mental health challenges and stigma, because we certainly know that a lot more people are talking about their own challenges. And I've been talking with some younger people that say, okay, this is common. Like we all talk about it. We all talk, you know, my daughter talks a little bit about her kind of social anxiety. Everybody knows it's just a common language, which is really, really wonderful to hear. And yet the struggles are still there, you know? So, so I think there's, there's certainly a lot more work that we need to do because it's wonderful to be able to talk about your challenges and there's another component, which is access to care and being right. able to, to reach out yeah. and get the help that you need.
2: Yeah, it's also, I'm sorry, access, access to care. But when, especially in, in the age group that you're talking about, people don't know when to step in and help somebody get the access, whether it's a friend, a teacher, a loved one. You know, people are afraid to say, okay, I think that you need help. You know, how can I help you without judging, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: you know? And so I think that that's a major problem also. I think it's great that we provide these services, but we have to figure out how to empower somebody to step forward and say, you know, this is what I see is going on for you. You know, can I help you? Is it accurate? Um, How can I support you? And it's a fine line, excuse me, because people think it's none of my business. I shouldn't bring it up. I don't know what's going on. Even, you know, talking to some, a family member. I mean, that was my experience in my family. And so I think that's really, really important.
3: Yeah, I agree. I I think that we have this Just Tell One campaign. Um, at mental yeah. health advocates, really, which talks about Marlene exactly what you're saying is here are the languages that you, uh, the language you can use, the skills that you need in order to reach out to one trusted person in your life. Just telling one person that right. you're struggling, and then we provide those resources for the trusted person. So if you're the person that that somebody's coming to, or if you're concerned about somebody, what are the what are the words you can use in order to approach that and. And what's important is mental health first aid is is key here, but more and more workplaces are really um, taking that training and some of the training that I'm doing with other workplaces is really um, encouraging people to to ask those questions and to check in on their coworkers. You know, I noticed that, you know, that you've been sleeping more often, you know, in the afternoon that you keep falling asleep. I want to know, are you okay? Is there something that I can do to help? And that that's an appropriate thing Um, for a lot of people, you know, Marlene, what you're saying, they think, oh, it's none of my business. But what we're saying is it's all of our business to look out Mm -hmm. for each other in the workplace, in the schools, you know, in our families. Yes.
1: Uh, One of the major issues and serious uh, consequences often is people feeling so alone, so like the loneliness and the thinking that there's no one available and not being able to bounce off thoughts because of fear of what people are gonna, you know, think about me. But we gotta conquer that loneliness. Like we I, I know when I'm not at my best, I don't see things like there's people in my life to help me. And I, I think Melinda, you saying, you know, like you got to share it, take the risk to just share one to one person Be- because it makes all the difference in the world. I I really I, I know you guys can relate because loneliness is is just really there. And having another person not even realizing it is so important. No, I agree. I agree. So May is Mental Health Month Awareness. And just so you know, October is Mental Illness Month. Uh, so, uh, but you know, the the budget was just passed by Governor Hochul, and uh, I don't think she understands mental health. So she get, she she funded she agreed to fund many many good supports, but she also broadened the population that can be considered to be forced into mental health treatment, and. I just don't understand that. I don't understand. Like, I don't, like, I just don't understand why people don't understand. We really do want help. Like we just don't know where to get it or we, or so our, our illness is preventing us to share with our loved one. How can we educate politicians and people that agree? Yes. This homeless person, let's put them in a locked facility with other people just like them, you know, so in, see what happens instead of just getting them a hotel room and buying them a sandwich. You know, I I don't, so that, uh, Governor Hochul's position is saying that people might, are a threat to themselves and should be included in forced treatment and a threat being homelessness or without food or shelter. Then the, the, her answer is, well, we should force them into mental health treatment. And it's like, wait a minute. So it, 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 but she's funding all these other programs that would be great for people with an outreach and all this stuff. And, and I just don't, I don't understand force helping homeless people or, or I don't understand why that's even in the equation. And uh, Melinda, you you were president of the board of crisis services. So you've had to deal with that. You've had to I, I just don't understand how people don't understand. <laughs>
3: yeah. I I do. I I agree with you. It's it's in and, and it's I think it's complicated because I think the best intentions are there, right? So we're going to provide these services and we're going to get people the help that they need. But I sometimes I I think it's basic human rights are forgotten here. The right to be able to make your own decisions about your own care. I I I think about that with criminal justice reform as well. So, you know, the the thinking is that if somebody has a significant mental illness or has a uh has committed a crime, that their rights are, they no longer have rights. Um, we yeah. see that in criminal justice um in jails and in prisons, that every every bit of their rights are taken away. But I think they that is also this thought that in order for people to get help, if they're living on the streets, if they're struggling, that we have to force that to, to happen. And it's almost like we have to shift the whole conversation. I'm always interested in thinking if there are people that are homeless, they're living on the streets, they have significant mental illness, like the systems are failing them. They're not, you know, we don't want to force them to come into the systems that are already failing them. We have to shift the conversation to say, yes. what is it that you need? What, what do you, what do you need me to do in order for you to access the care that you, that you require versus we're going to force you into the systems that are already maybe not working great.
1: And does one shoe fit all? Like does one way of, you know, like I, again, I'm pointing to you, Melinda and your yoga, you know, the people you do yoga with, are they improving their mental health? Does that, does yoga help with mental health?
3: Yeah. I mean, definitely it does Um, in my experience, but it doesn't, it doesn't help a lot of other people. You know, in my personal experience, there's a definite connection between the brain and the body and and yoga kind of incorporates that whole thing. So it really helps to work with that autonomic nervous system, right, right. To use breath and movement in order to you know, in order to kind of rest and digest to settle into your your parasympathetic nervous system. But again, it doesn't work for everybody. It works for me. And uh, other people find other things that other tools that they use to help with their mental health. And um, some people run, some people um, do Tai Chi, you know, there's other things that are available.
1: Yeah. So I want to say a ridiculous statement. So if yoga helps mental your mental health and you've seen it with other people, then let's force yoga on everyone, you know, yeah. like that, right? It, it doesn't work that way. So I don't no. understand why people see, you know, so Marlene, you might be able to shed some light on that.
2: Or, well, or like to, I, yeah. Thank you. I, I think that the system tries to provide services that we know that Our people need services, but it's not flexible enough to take people where they're at. And we're forced to have outcome measures that don't make sense for human beings. We're not widgets. And so, you know, the road I travel may be slower than somebody who's a runner. Um, And so I don't think the system has enough flexibility to say, okay, Tell me where you're at. You know, do you need housing? Well, you may not need housing yet, you know. And oh, by the way, we don't have housing. So forget okay. about that. We're going to put you, yeah. you know, in a hotel like on Main Street. There was years and years right. ago. You probably remember. Yeah. And, and I think that's the problem. What do you need? I need food. Well, you know, fine. Then let me give you the food that you need to stay on the streets so that you're you're healthy you know i need medical attention you know okay let me take you to the doctor you know how do you measure that you know within in the period of a year that you're getting right. i mean it, it's it's i think it's ridiculous actually yeah. so
1: i know for me uh i'm the youngest of five and i'm very close to my siblings and of course, we're all dysfunctional. Which family isn't? But I was having difficulty expressing to my sister Chris what I needed, and it. I, I, we, I we were on the phone, and I we had like three conversations within an hour, and I was trying to process. And I realized, hey, she doesn't know what I need. I, I'm not being. I'm not able to express that. Like she doesn't understand. I'm not saying what I need. know and it it was like a a light bulb went off it was like oh if i tell her what i need then we can work with that you know is, is there any help in doing that in saying hey this is something i need i should tell someone like the stigma if if there wasn't the stigma could
2: like how can we do that how can we improve that i think it's patience i think that um you know, if you're in crisis or even if you're not, you don't know what you need. Right, right, exactly. You don't know what you need. Now I'm fortunate because after I was diagnosed, oh, three out of, two out of my three brothers were diagnosed. So, you know, sometimes they get annoyed because they're okay, but I'm not, you know, so mm-hmm. I, it, it's it's hard. You know, if I can't articulate what I need, then they need to see my behavior. And if right. they're far away, they don't always see my behavior, that I'm cleaning incessantly or I'm sleeping too long or I'm eating too much or too little. I mean, I could be doing yoga eight hours a day and that's too much. Right. So I think that that's part of the challenge is that, you know, I think it's also part of the challenge is that if I'm doing OK or if I'm not doing OK and my brothers are, they might get annoyed with me. Do you know because right. they've heard this story before? Right. I, I think it's complicated. Um, I think it's very complicated. You know, I think you have to have the patience to go through it with somebody. Again, tell me what can you articulate what right. you need or what you want? Right. you um, not giving up. And right. Not, and not, absolutely not like giving up. Like not
1: saying, oh, It's just more, again, doing your thing. You know, it's exactly I I think communication is a struggle. And most of us didn't get that. And I think your initiative, your anti-stigma campaign, I, I think, is teaching people, making people curious, curious on, hey, what are you going through? What you know, understanding that I think you're doing that all in Western New York.
3: Yeah. You know, I also wonder, I mean, I'm hoping that when we get into um, classrooms early, so we have a program that we really are in working with three-year-olds, <laughs> but yeah. the real better when it comes to educating people about being able to ask for what you need. And again, it's a little, it's a paradigm shift. Right. Also the sense of, you know, we just as a society, we are We are definitely solution focused. All right, here's what you need to solve your problem. And to be able to just stand with somebody next to somebody as they're struggling and just be there for them and not give them all the answers and tell them what they should do and what they shouldn't do, but just to actually be there with them, providing support is an enormous um, uh, gift that you're giving somebody. But we typically just really jump into the solutions. There's you know, I'm giving advice. And so it's, it is patience. It requires patience and it requires a lot of um, shifting people's perspective, but the hope that is that we're having these conversations now so that we can continue to have those discussions and, and, you know, have this major paradigm shift.
1: Okay. So for people listening to this podcast, where, what's the next step people can take? They, they hear this, they might agree, they might totally disagree, but what? All right, I've heard this. What can I do with the, this information? I, wh- wh- where, where do I go? What can, what's my takeaway that uh, you guys are presenting? What's...
2: I think one of the takeaways is that, um, you know, you're empowered to say something if you don't feel right. And if you're watching somebody going through a struggle, you're empowered to say, I want to help or how can I help? And I think that's really, really important for people to feel comfortable saying what they need. And if you can't say what you need, having people around you that can help you or ask what you need. And again, you know, different people need different things at different times. And so we have to be prepared, you know, that okay, you need housing rather than food, or you need shoes rather than a coat, you know, I mean, I'm making up, mm-hmm. right. but we have to be flexible enough and not try to solve a problem. I'm a right. solve problem solver. I can, you know, I can, you know, spin my wheels in trying to figure out what's going to happen in five years. Right. Or, you know, if I didn't get a grant, what did I do wrong? What could I do next? You know, and somebody sometimes has to stop me and said, you know, you did what you could do. Um, and just to keep plugging along and that's how it is. You just have to support people.
3: Yeah. Right. I definitely, I definitely agree with you, Marlene. I think that the, um, I also would challenge people to, there's probably somebody in your life that is struggling because we all are, you know, the prevalence of people struggling with a, um, mental health challenge is really, they say about 50% of, of. Americans are struggling. I think it's more than that. I think that's underrepresented, but there's probably somebody in your life that is struggling right now. And if you were to reach out to them and just say, Hey, um, you know, I sense that you're struggling, like, let's get together and just have coffee and talk. Um, it would be a wonderful thing to do. I would also encourage everybody to go to our websites, right? So, Mhawny.org. So that's the um, Mental Health Advocates website. There's a lot of really wonderful resources. There's the JustTellOne.org website, which also you know talks about the language and skills that you need. There's toolkits on that website um, that people can use, and then the um, Anti-Stigma Coalitions website, which is Let'sTalkStigma.org. Right is also a really good website with tons of information and resources so right. people can educate themselves and then be supportive.
1: So they're not alone. Yeah, Marlene, yeah. and what I've noticed recently in the last several months is that there's mental health advocate brochures at every clinic, hospital, behavioral health, uh, on the nurses station, wherever, or the receptionist, uh, they're they're giving uh they're letting pamphlets on the tables now with covid but mental health advocate seems to be like you you can it seems like if you don't know what to do you could reach out and there's someone you know with an agency 60 years old uh that might have some knowledge that could be helpful so yeah
0: so our number at
3: NJ is 886-1242. We have an information referral line that you can call. Okay. Marlene, what, what were you going to say, Marlene? I
2: was going to say mental health advocates is perhaps a starting point. And right. then you go different places when you, you know, when we talk about one thing doesn't fit all people, you have enough information, or a colleague or a loved one has enough information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, think about... Um, human resource people do they know where to go
0: right
2: that's a challenge for people in the workplace so I think even if you say go to this website or go with the person to the website Mm -hmm. you know again that's helping it's not dictating and I think that's really important or you know let's go together to seek help I mean let's do it together The other thing that I will plug is that we have an annual meeting coming up in May, Um, and if people want to learn more about, you know, what we're doing with Let's Talk Stigma campaign, people are more than welcome to come. Um, There'll be a lot of different people. Oh, there'll be food, which also brings Mm -hmm. people Um, Mm -hmm. and people can sign up and say, okay, I you know, I am going to fight stigma. You know, we if you go to our website, let's you know, you can participate in fighting stigma. And I think that that's really important as well. The other thing about let's talkstigma.com is when we do newsletters, we're talking to people who have lived experience. We did something on um, nurses and what kinds of behavioral health challenges they were having being a nurse, we had a great, and it's online, a great resource um, when we spoke to students mm-hmm. who spoke about their challenges with mental health. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of you know visual resources there mm-hmm. um, that could also point you right.
1: in a direction.
2: Yeah.
1: And what I've seen with COVID, like we think about the nurses and the doctors but what about the techs? You know, the, the techs who are like running to get the right blood and they bring the, the container of blood and it's a wrong one, you know, talk about trauma, you know, and, and we don't th- we think about the nurse but all the people behind the scenes and that read the obituaries and see, you know, patients of theirs, you know, so we all need community change and community acceptance. So thank you so much for being here and sharing your knowledge and wisdom with us. Uh, We greatly appreciate that. Uh, So you can go to uh, Let's Talk Stigma online or you can call the mental health advocates at 716-886-1242 or the mhawny.org website. And that could be a start, a beginning, a middle, or whatever. So thank you very much. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Right. Thank you, Maura. Okay. You've been listening to Peers Like Me, a podcast that explores issues related to behavioral health, sponsored by Western New York Independent Living, Inc., with the assistance of the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Today, our guests have been Marlene Schillinger and Melinda DuBois. Our host has been Maura Kelly. This program features the song Thanks for Morning by Kalaf Nasirz. Available under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial License, which can be viewed at creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy-nc slash 3.0 slash legal code.